Hi, this is Farah Osbeck. Welcome back to Military Law and Life Matters, the podcast that arms you with knowledge so you don't become a victim of injustice. So happy again to be back. Um, it's a beautiful fall day right now uh, when I'm recording this. Not sure when it's going to be played. I think this is going to be in November, but um, it's almost November, but it's a really beautiful, nice, sunny fall day. I love the fall weather. It's not too cold. It's not too hot. So just perfect, perfect weather. Um, yeah, so happy to be back. And again, talking about some cases that were decided by the different boards. Um, today, I'm going to talk about an army case that was decided um, not too long ago. Um, yeah, I, I think in 2021. But this army case involves an army soldier who was discharged in 2018. So he submitted an application pretty soon after he was discharged, which it, which is fine to do. Um, you know, there's no time limit. You have to wait. Some people ask me, do I have to wait a certain amount of time? No, not really. Um, you know, and, and your chances really depend on what you were discharged for. So sometimes it doesn't benefit you to try right away. In this guy's case, I see why, and you'll see as I explain the case, why it, it didn't matter that he applied right away. But let me talk to you about this case. Um, so it's an army soldier who who said he was in, um, so basically he was discharged. Let me go through like chronologically as this decision so I don't get go all over the place. But he was discharged with an other than honorable discharge. And he basically says, he was in 74 months and he was discharged, he said, for an isolated incident. And he, other than that, he had honorable service. So he's saying, and, and by the way, he was deployed to Afghanistan twice. So for about maybe two years total. So he said, I had great service, but I was discharged for this isolated incident. And please upgrade it to a general discharge. So notice, you know, in this case, you asked for a general. You don't have to ask for an honorable. If you don't think the board, like, no way in hell you're going to get an honorable, you could ask for a general. You know, it, again, it always depends on the facts of the case. I thought it, in this case, it was probably more beneficial for him to ask for a general discharge because I doubt he would get an honorable. Um, and, you know, sometimes in cases I ask for, for my client, I say, you know, honorable in the alternative, a general saying, you know, we'd accept a general, of course, but just depends on the fact. Sometimes if it's like, this is an honorable, like you don't even mention the general, but the boards could always give you a general. Just so you know, if you ask for a certain type of discharge and they don't give it, it doesn't mean they're going to deny it. They may consider a general. So as I always say, the facts are the determinative, very determinative in what the board decides to do. So it's, it's, you can't, it's not black and white. All right. So that's his argument. Okay. So he's saying this isolated incident during 74 months of duty, which is like, it comes out to six years. And, um, now he was, he doesn't have a diagnosis of PTSD, but he actually has a diagnosis of adjustment disorder. I'm going to get to what he did. I'm kind of going chronology. So he has adjustment disorder, but the key thing is this, for what this person did, he ended up in civilian jail. The civilians kind of prosecuted him. He ended up with an adjustment disorder, but it was because of the legal stressors he was going undergoing. So I see a lot of that. A lot of people, it's just stressful, obviously, if you're being discharged or court-martialed. So you end up having an adjustment disorder due to just these life stressors you're undergoing. It's not easy. You're like going to lose your whole career, perhaps. So just so you know, so if you're diagnosed with something after the fact, after the misconduct, that's not going to help you in that 
liberal guidance because the stressor, the mental health condition has to have occurred before the misconduct. So it's inapplicable. Yeah, he does have the stressor, the adjustment disorder, but it's in no way related to um, it's it's not what caused him to do the misconduct in this case. So, um, okay, so let's get to the offense he was being discharged for. He was being discharged because the civilians, through you know whatever they're monitoring, discovered that he was he had possessed porn. Um, it's not porn; it's child pornography. So, if you have images of child pornography, you have it, you possess it, distribute it. Um, basically that's very, very serious in the military and in the civilian, in this case, the civilians were prosecuted. He was in jail for, 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 I think two years. So what the board said, and, and it was because he was, you know, possessed child pornography. Okay. Big difference from even, ha you know, looking at pornography, regular regular, I'm saying regular pornography, like at the workplace that happens as well, that you're going to get punishment, but you're not going to get court-martialed for that regular. I mean, like adult pornography, this is child pornography. So very, very serious. Um, and so what he did was now when this is happening, if someone's being prosecuted by the civilians and they're undergoing civilian action, the military does not wait till you're like out of jail to discharge you. They will just discharge you they, you know, actually bring you to a board. He said, hey, I'll waive my board again because he was in over six years. And he also, you know, if you're being discharged with an OTH, you're entitled to a discharge board. He submit what's called a conditional waiver and said, I will agree to be discharged without going to a board if you give me a general discharge at least. His command disapproved that, the convening authority, separation authority disapproved it. So he ended up going to a board, you know, trying. So he went to this discharge board. I don't know if he was in absentia or he was there, but basically he was entitled to go to this discharge board. Oh, it says he did not appear. Um, but, you know, his counsel was there. Yeah, because he was in civilian confinement. So the applicant's counsel was present and the board basically said, no, you know, we recommend you get an other than honorable discharge for possessing this child pornography. So he got an OTH discharge. Okay, so that's where we are so far. Now, again, this was considered, you know, so the military does not have to wait till you, you know, are finished with your offense and your imprisonment, but it, it's under a federal statute, receiving or viewing child pornography. I don't know that he was distributing it, but some people do that as well. Um, it also has some other things he was actually being investigated for, but it doesn't, it doesn't say he was convicted of that, but they were saying he was, you know, possessing and concealing false, fake explosive device, manufactured possession of a bomb. I, you know, it says he was being investigated for that, but he was discharged for possession of child pornography. So this other stuff, maybe, you know, they didn't consider that because it was still being investigated. So let's pretend like that stuff is not even on. I'm not going to even consider that in discussing this case. Let's say it was just the child pornography. All right. So he has no diagnosis of PTSD or TBI. Again, he does have adjustment disorder, but again, it was based on his stressors after he was now being prosecuted. He does have combat service in Afghanistan, but no, um, you know, PTSD diagnosis. Okay. So what the, the board army board, you know, said, Hey, by the way, you don't have 74 months of service because you were in jail for an year and a half. So you got a bunch of bad time. So if you're in the military and let's say you're like, 
driving while intoxicated. And for some reason, you know, you're in jail for two months or maybe you injured someone and, and they put stuck you in jail. Now you're not able to do your military duty. That six months, I mean, the two months, the 60 days does not count towards your enlistment. So let's say you have a four-year enlistment. They subtract that. You, you, you're not entitled to get credit for time you're not serving. So if you're in civilian jail, they call that bad time in the military. So he had this bad time. So the board said, oh, by the way, you don't have 74 months, like six years. You have less than that because, you know, almost two years you were in jail is what they said. Um, anyway, so the thing is, yeah, he, he was discharged for um, for the misconduct. He ended up actually, he did have a civil civilian conviction. So the military use that. That's a provision if you have a civilian conviction. But frankly, you don't have to even wait till someone's convicted. We used to have a lot of cases, you know, whatever child or something where the civilians prosecute. And if it's going to take like a year to like prosecute and convict you, the military can discharge you, but it's got to be based on evidence. So if there's just, just it's really not clear whether the person's guilty, they're not going to discharge you. But if there's like a confession, the individual admitted to it, you can use that as a basis to discharge someone. But if it's very unclear, the military is going to kind of wait because you can't discharge someone until there's some evidence. And an ev and evidence in this case could have been either they had that civilian conviction at the time or the member admitted. If he was questioned by the civilians and admitted to it, bingo, that's what, what that's you got the evidence. So you don't have to wait. You could just just you don't have to base it on a civilian conviction. The military can discharge you based on you know, some type of misconduct. Okay. So he got the OTH. Um, again, I talked about the bad time. Remember that if you're like in jail, so they said, you know, with the bad time, you only serve five years. Well, you know, six, five, whatever. But uh, the thing the board said, you know, they, how they came to the conclusion, they voted unanimously to deny this guy's application because, you know, again, facts are very important. Yeah. He did serve for two years in Afghanistan and, um, I, I'm thinking about two years and he was there. So I, you know, assuming he did great stuff there, but they look at the misconduct, like child pornography is considered very, very serious. I mean, people get hefty sentences that in a court martial or civilian, um, jurisdiction. And it's, you know, they're like, I don't, you know, the board's like, I don't care what you did, you know, Afghanistan, your career, this is very, very serious. We're talking about child pornography. So they, did not vote to give him the general discharge. Um, they, you know, denied it basically. And, you know, again, his argument, it's isolated. Yeah. It might've been isolated if it was evidence that he only did it like once or what, I don't know how many times he did it during what period it doesn't say, but if the, the misconduct is so, so serious, the boards are not going to care in this case, you know, that's what they determined. Um, yeah. So it was denied. And, you know, he said he has, um, Basically, he says he has some injuries. It doesn't say what injuries. It does not talk about PTSD because they could have perhaps used that liberal guidance, at least considered under that. But he's saying, I need VA benefits. I need the GI Bill. Again, yeah, the boards know that you're not going to get benefits if you don't have a general for the VA or an honorable for the GI Bill. And, you know, applicants don't know. They're, they're just being truthful and say, I need my benefits. But the board, that's like inconsequential to the board. That That's not a reason they could use to say, we're going to upgrade it. Although they very well know if someone gets a general, they're going to get the VA benefits. And they don't, you know, the boards don't like deny a case like, oh, we don't want them to get VA benefits. They look at the facts. They're like, okay, does this guy deserve a general or an honorable? And that's what they base it on. 
mean, I think if it's a very compassionate case, very close in terms of, you know, the person was just got like a war hero and did all this stuff in Afghanistan, Iraq, or got deployed and got very bad, severe PTSD. But, and they did something, you know, bad, but not like really heinous. You know, they may like, oh, this is close, but the board might in their mind, you know, these people are human beings deciding the case you know, making a recommendation. I was on these boards for like compassionate reasons, like give someone to general, if it's close because they know, okay, this guy's got a lot of medical issues, PTSD, TBI, we know he needs, you know, care at the VA. So it's, again, these are human beings on these boards. So they, it probably does go through their mind, but it's not a basis to just like give someone a general just because, you know, just because you need a general to get VA benefits, if if it's the, if they don't believe the dist- what the person did warrants it. Okay, another little thing to add in here: um, the soldier all, veteran also asked that his rank be reinstated, and I, you know DRB can't doesn't have authority to do that. I think I discussed that before, so they don't have authority to give back rank, back pay, none of that. <laughs> the Army Board for Correction of Military Records has the authority to do that. Like, so you could go and ask for anything. You could say, "Oh my God, you know, I should have been promoted." Like to rank, I should have been, you know, I have all this back pay due to me. I should have been radically retired. That's the board for correction military records for each service. Discharge review board strictly like, hey, upgrade the discharge and change the narrative reason. So that's this case. I guess the teaching point is, you know, this veteran, um, you know, he did his application. I know why he didn't wait because it makes sense. He, the, there was no reason. He's just saying this was isolated. I should get a, a general there wouldn't be no reason really to wait for that long, but the board's like, okay, it's an isolated incident, but it's very serious. So it does not overcome your, I guess, five years of service, not seven, 76 years because of his bad time. So, um, yeah, I mean, you could make the argument isolated incident, but again, if it's a very serious offense, um, the, you know, if it was something they're, they're probably not gonna, you know, they're not gonna, upgrade the discharge. Plus he didn't have the PTSD. So I, I mean, I'm curious what they would have said if he had PTSD. And, and then if he said, that's why I did what I did, you know, I don't know. It's still going to be very tough because again, with anything like child related, it's, it's really quite serious. So, um, that's this case. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what the teaching point is other than you might, you know, if you have an isolated incident, it's very serious. Um, good luck with that. Again, it's very serious, but doesn't mean you, you can't try, of course. All right. Well, I hope that, you know, gave you a little bit of information you didn't know. I talked about the bad time. So, you know, don't like if you were in jail for two years, that doesn't count towards your service. So, okay. Um, all right. I want to go and now talk about the life matters part of the podcast, which I always enjoy digging up stuff and things that I that I've read about or that I um, feel strongly about. And I, you might see like a lot of my themes when I talk about this stuff, focus on like several areas that I'm like really passionate about. But interestingly, I think about six years ago, I have a friend who's a chemistry teacher in high school and she asked me to talk. It was through Zoom because they weren't, you know, going in person and it was in another state. But she asked me to talk to her high school students and they were all bright, you know, chemistry students or, or I think all STEM students, uh, in high school, like junior seniors, and they were having like a career day. And she wanted me to talk about, you know, my career, you know, being a lawyer and all that. And, um, 
etc. So, you know, I, I did talk about my career. I talked about, you know, being that I was a military lawyer and now I'm a civilian lawyer. So we'll talk a little about that if there was any STEM students interested in that. Um, I also try to give them some general advice, really, that I'm not sure if I was supposed to, <laughs> to go into that. I think I was supposed to limit it to my career, but because I was so passionate about it, I kind of stuck that in there. You know, I gave them that advice that Naval says, you know, Naval Ravikant, um, that I always, I always talk about him, because I think this is so, so important. Like I said, you know, when you're choosing a career, I said, try to pick something that feels like play to you, but work to others that you really enjoy. It comes naturally. Something you have an edge at that you're better than others. And it's really comes easily to you. But also the second part is that you enjoy it. Okay. That you really like it because some things can, you know, you could just be multi-talented and have lots of really great talents, but you may not enjoy it, but pick the one that you're like good at and you enjoy it. Like what better career is that? Like do that. So that's what I said. I said, you know, do something that comes effortlessly for you. Why struggle at some career you're not good at? Why try to become like an electrical engineer if you're like terrible at math, terrible at whatever, electric electronic circuits or whatever you have to study to become electronic engineer. Like, don't do that. Yeah. You can work hard and try to do it, but you're going to probably be struggling your whole life. Do something you're better at. You might be, be like fantastic at physics. I don't know, or mathematics or something. So do that. And, um, and because if you're doing it effortlessly, it means like you are probably meant to do it. And, and if you're not enjoying something that you're like, which someone pigeonholed you into and said, this is what you should do. You're not going to be the best in the world at it. And you don't have to be the best in the world at it, but you're not going to be that good at it because you're not enjoying it. So I told them that I'm not sure how that went over. Cause I was, you know, some people don't like to hear, like do something that comes easily to you. They want you to like really work really, really hard at something. Well, yeah, you should work hard and study hard. I believe, you know, try to do well, but if something, if you, you're just not naturally good at, I mean, I'm not sure why you would go into that field. I, I real that's how I feel. Anyway, the other thing I said, don't listen to your parents. I mean, parents have the best intentions. And parents love their kids. But a lot of times, you know, they're just, you know, they're looking out, they want their kids to do well, make a good salary. But parents don't know what you like. And they, you know, they just kind of want you to do something that, you know, you're gonna have like a secure future. And I will tell you a lot, I think a lot of times parents really, they live vicariously through their kids. Like, oh yeah, my son's a doctor, or my son's a lawyer, or my daughter's a, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, I don't know how that went over either, but I said, you know, your parents have good intentions, but make sure you do what you think you want to do. You know, obviously something you could have a career in too, Hope, hopefully you're going to make money. I mean, you have to support yourself somehow, but you know, don't necessarily listen to your parents. Again, parents have the best intentions. They really do. They want you to do well, but they, a lot of them just don't get it. Like they're like, yeah, you know, I want my son to be a doctor. So don't do that. So that's what I said. So I guess my teaching point in this life lesson is, you know, when you're looking at a career and, you know, some of you, again, I'm talking about this, but it could be something for your kids. Or if you're a veteran and going back to school, that's what I recommend. Like what more would you want than if you have some job you like? Wow. I mean, honestly, like that's, I mean, there could be nothing better in life. Like if you like what you're doing, you're making money, you don't need like millions to, to be happy. 
<coughs> excuse me, you know, money is good. I always like talking about money, money, like you really need money and money will, if you're not liking what you're doing, money is going to give you independence, financial independence and freedom to do what you want. So money is going to be able to give you freedom to buy that house you want, live where you want. So I'm all for it. Like I really, yeah, money is fantastic, but that shouldn't be your number one concern when you're looking for a career, in my opinion. So anyway, I hope that was helpful. Um, yeah, that is my life advice to you. Like pick something that feels like play to you, but work to others and that you enjoy. Anyway, um, yeah, I hope that was helpful to you. And like I always say, please never, ever give up because there is always hope. Never give up. Look forward to talking to you next time. Take care.